Blog Talk Radio. From the far reaches of the known universe, we are proud to present Brother Harold Muhammad, soldier, scientist, scholar. Blog Talk Radio's finest. Not so mad science. On Black Hole Radio. And welcome to tonight's edition of Not So Mad Science here on the Black Hole Radio Network. Once again and as always, this is your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, coming to you live from the city of Detroit, Motown. Just because Barry Gordy took Motown to L.A. does not mean Detroit has lost its soul. And I truly can say, Detroit has not lost its soul. Detroit is stirring Detroit is trying to begin to move. Detroit is starting to break free of some of the chains which has held its mind, the social mind, the spiritual mind, and the physical mind in bondage for so many decades and centuries. To that end, We have a wonderful show for you this evening, all of which will not focus particularly, or I should say specifically, on COVID. There are other matters of major importance other than COVID with which we must begin to focus our attention. Why must you ask? Because if we don't look at other things other than COVID, something will sneak by and bite us in the back. The snake, this snake, the American snake, U.S. snake, has many heads, and with many heads come many things. To that end, we need to listen as the train begins to approach. And as that train approaches, the people need to get ready because the train is approaching. But when it gets to your stop, When it stops at your station, I implore you, I beg of you, I plead with you, in the name of Allah and his exalted Christ, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, I'm begging you, please, please, please. Get on board. Because there will not be a second chance. That time of second chances is coming to an end. And we need to, we must begin to pay attention. So, 
what is first on tonight's hot plate? Well, uh, like I said, we're not only talking about COVID tonight, but I need to express to you something that is of major importance. Decades ago, it was the Honorable Elijah Muhammad who begged us to take heed of our food chain and begin to grow our own food. Why? Because the, the ability to feed the 40 million or more plus of us that are here now is going to become more and more difficult. Already the supply chain of food yeah, America is delayed. You go to the supermarket, there's always shortages of something. But something else going on in the food chain supply. Farmers are concerned. So, recently I read an article where this very subject matter was discussed, and it was called Tea Time. And they said, you don't need to be an expert to be a part of the conversation. What was Tea Time? So let's see if I can begin to share with you what Tea Time truly is. Hello everyone, it's the 12th of September, it's Monday, it's 2022. And it's tea time. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Amanda. Hello, Zira. All right, so they're all nicely on mute. Um, but we, we have a few technical issues with uh, Theo Palmer and Kira. They're going to be on in a minute. We know they're there. They're just have to destroy us putting out some stuff. So while that's happening, let's catch up with Miss Zira, who is pregnant, as we announced not that long ago. How are you feeling, Zira? I am doing better today. Thank you. I've actually been dealing with Hutchins, who's got a barium, severe morning sickness and everything. I wasn't keeping anything down and as a result of that, I actually ended up having ruptured ulcers, which is no fun. So I spent a couple of weeks in Florida with my parents who helped me out throughout the healing process and I'm feeling stronger again. Baby's growing, pumping strong painfully and I am 18 weeks this week. So we're excited for that. We're all super excited for you and I know all our prayer warriors out there hearing this pray for you. Um, and, again, and go back to my I was telling you this before at night and listening to Dr. Judy the last uh, on Saturday I was live with Dr. Judy and she gave some great advice so um, stay away from well she did say be careful um, people recently vaccinated and I think that's good advice. Oh absolutely. When I travel I did not travel by plane that was one of the reasons we actually drove it was eighteen hours and it was brutal with with the Sickness and everything, but it was so important. It was 
not going to get on a flight and be exposed to that and expose my baby. Absolutely not. And I will say, and I will rave about um, one of the things that has helped me throughout this, and for anybody listening out there, I actually relied on, there's a doctor here in the state of Ohio, she's the head of the Chiropractic Association, and he has a very, very unique approach to chiropractic care, and that, I mean, night and day difference. My husband and my daughter were in the room with me, and I went in there without being able to even stand up for a long period of time, so we... And I left more energized. I was, for the first time in a while, able to send my own food. And then I started acupuncture care. And then John Combs, who's an ethnobotanist, herbalist, she got me on some um, some herbs that help to seal the gut, et cetera, and help with all that. So very, very empowering. Very, very. Well, while we're just chatting with you, I just want to say what an amazing interview you did with Dr. Peter McCullough. I mean, it was just phenomenal in the area. such a good host. Thank you so much. And you're going to be regular once a month host on that Monday, and we're really excited to have you. So thanks for that interview. It's just that if you haven't seen it, people listening, go back and see it. It's fantastic. Um, and Sarah has also been um, hosting for us, and uh, is going to host again this Friday. Are you going to tell us who you've got on? Yes, I'm so excited to talk about something that we, I haven't heard a whole lot about. The CDC has a plan called Whole School, Whole Child, Whole Community, and they're hoping to bring healthcare, mental health care, physical health care, dental health care, all the things into the school. So I'm going to be talking to some people who've done a lot of research, and part of their documentary was based on that. Mark and Amber Archer, a, a fearless film, fearless features. Um, and we're also going to have an attorney, Nicole Pearson, out of California to talk about the legal ramifications, how to try to keep it out of your school, but if it does get there, what rights will parents be able to maintain because it doesn't sound very promising. And it, it's insightful to see what an end goal is going to be for the children of America. Yeah, I mean, you're also a, a, a fantastic coaster, so it's exciting to have all these different coaches coming on every day. pretty much packed out the whole six days, and we're going to be, I think, going on a Sunday soon. I'm just uh, getting it all together. And Sarah, how many children have you got? I have five, and we're long schooling them now. And how are you doing? That's everything that I've learned. I don't really have an option, right? So I feel like that kind of conviction inside me is awesome because I don't have an option to fail. We're just going to do it. And, you know, we had Heidi St. John on the show, and she says all the time, as a homeschool parent, your absolute worst day as a homeschooler is still a, the best day, better than the best day they will ever have in public school because you give your child one-on-one -on -one attention. Whether you're building their character or you're building their intellect, it's, they're both important, and I get to do that every single day. And so it's, it's been really good. It's been good to see the kids grow in relationships together, but I also get to spend a lot more time with them. I don't have to send them off to give their best hours to a stranger. They give each other and me their best hours. And they are so wonderful children, wonderful children. We've got one of her children. We're not going to go into too much detail. Sitting with Sawyer and learning live streaming, all love it. That was great education, real life skills. Amanda, just before we bring in our guest, just give us a quick update on how you are, how's your dad, and how it's Canada. Oh, <laughs> Canada's great. Canada's great. Um, I Trudeau, which already looks like it's a disaster for Trudeau waiting to happen, which is what 
driving equipment for commercial farmers. They were all caught up in this kind of industrial farming, not able to really decide what they grew or, you know, under contracts uh, within the big global food system. And that is really what kind of turned me on to farming. But I had in a background by the time I started this farm that I was like, there's got to be a way to make a profitable farm that is good. It produces good food. And so that's kind of been our quest in the last 10 years. All right. Well, so I, I'm going to have to start with a question that we headed this program with. So is our food chain in danger? And let me just explain a couple of things. People say, I'm not going to do that stocking again. I did that when the lockdown. I'm done. Nothing happened. We were fine. And then the president goes out and says, you know, food shortages are coming. And you see a few weird things going on in the supermarkets. I'm not allowed to really be that worried. So, what's the deal? Well, yeah, I, I also start with that. Um, I think the the entire paradigm that we're used to is not stocking up on anything and just being able to run out the store and get whatever you want from around the world at any time of day that you want. So the convenience factor is super high. We're all used to it, right? So nobody stores things like they did uh, 100 years ago or even, you know, 50, 50, 60 years ago. They would store stuff some things. Maybe it's a little bit further back than that. Um, there were no super supermarkets at one time um, because everybody had their own cow, Everybody had their own hog, or they were near somebody who had all those things, and it was just not an issue. Um, and so now, though, we are so accustomed to it that we're really out of touch. And most people who experience um, food abundance are gone, and and the storage is gone. So is the food supply in danger? Yes, and I'm going to say because of centralization that leads to that kind of convenience and no worries, we'll just run down the store to get it. Well, that paradigm is, it needs to actually be completely and totally upended so that um, you are dealing directly with the farmer again. It seems like a new concept, but it's an old concept. Um, so, yes, in danger because of the way it's been industrialized. Like, we just go and get it out of little plastic trays or plastic bags. It's all brought to us. So we need to think about how to um, access that directly and avoid those breakable supply chains. Do you think it's not that the food, it's the lack of food, it's about the lack of food, it's about the quality of food. Basically, we can't trust what we're eating in the supermarket. Yeah, so my, um, yeah. my answer to the question would be that the food supply has been broken, and that's why we have uh, a, a large segment of chronic disease and all these kinds of things. Okay. So is the food supply broken? Well, it's not providing health. So you have to ask, what is food for? It's to nourish our bodies, to nourish the next generation, and so I think the problem well, is... Well, we're vitamin and nutrients. Vitamin and mineral deficient 
where innocence will grow even if they're organic because they have a nitrogen dependency, chemical fertilizer um, dependency. So even in organic, they're doing it that way on a very large scale, and that is easy to break. And it's not so good for us, that food. Is it not nutrient dense? Yeah, and it's also it's, um, part of the thing that we need to recognize, I think, because um, as God's children, essentially, is we, first of all, we have an abundant food supply all around us. That's, I think, that people are, um, are looking too much at their screens and believing too much of uh, what they see. At the same time, it's not, it's, it's kind of similar to, you know, well, vaccines bring us health is what the message that the mainstream says. And it's like, no, vaccines are unnecessary products. And so um, so we believe those lies. We, we get in our cars and we take a drive out of the country and there's land and land and land and land. It's not being used to make nice farms. But if, if, we, re, if we rethink our food supply, it's going to take some time. And, they, and so the, the question is, are we in a crisis point where, you know, uh, but I, I do think that we have a model where it's like, all right, let's, let's start sourcing our food from right outside our city limits or, or within an hour of us. And we have farm care owners that I talked to and I said, how much food do you get from local farms? And they're like, well, we get 80% of our food from from right here. And, uh, you know, right outside the city limits, they live in downtown Portland, they live in apartments, but they source their food. And so part of it is that mindset shift, I think, that we have to say, all right, we don't want to be dependent on this. Right. Change. That's the main Dependency thing. equals right. control. We want to be controlled. You know, some people obviously do. They put their masks on it walk around, but there's a percentage of God's children that just don't want, they want to be independent, they want to release those that bondage, and that means there's going to be a mindset shift, and so that's, that's what we need to talk about. I couldn't agree more. One of my favorite quotes is from hypocrisy, let food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food, and I think anybody who has struggled with their health and resorted to that need organic whole food foods and their local farmers has reaped the benefit from that. One of the things that we're seeing right now that is very concerning, I'm sure to a lot of individuals as well who are watching, is that we're seeing cows being, you know, all of a sudden dying and that birds as well with birds, et cetera. I would like to have your input with that, especially as we're talking about food abundance, because that is obviously something that is concerning in that respect. Yeah, are you talking about um, that all those cows that died really suddenly, no one has yes. been able to explain that. But I can tell you, we have heard some anecdotal, it's all anecdotal, right, until somebody compiles it and certifies it, but um, from other farmers what? who have shut down, and this is a little bit different than that supposed heat wave. I don't think that's what that was, but and I don't know exactly what that was about, but I do know that the food system industrially um, is breaking, and I do know that uh, the stories we've heard from farmers that are, are close to us or 
of friends of farmers have told us that little farms, some of them are shutting down because of um, issues we don't quite understand, but it seems to be related to folks who took the experimental injection. And these cows are, um, uh, it's all stillbirth, so the cows are themselves are dying, or the fertility is gone. Now that's a big deal. That's a really, really big deal. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, my response to that, those pictures that we saw with the cat piles of dead cows, is that when you concentrate animals, when you truck them across the country and uh, change their food supply and stick them in a, a concentrated uh, feed, animal feeding operation, then there's a certain percentage of them that can die. And so in that heat wave, I don't know, I mean, cows don't die in heat. My, I provide shade for my cows and they all sit out in the sun in 110 degree weather or whatever and they like, they just like soaking up the sun for some reason. So, um, and that's what most cattle farmers will say, yeah, uh, cows just don't die from heat. They have water and they have food there, they don't die. So, but they do die from stress and shock and if they're stressed and, um, and, and there's a certain percentage in those, if you look at the number that they said died and then the number that's in a concentrated animal feeding operation, it's possible that that's kind of an alarmist type of post. Um, at the I'm, same hearing, I'm hearing that they're all vaccinated and, and this is going on around in the yeah. world. There's some hearing Bugs are great. Lefty bugs because those are a great 
going to have, you know, be eating uh, cows because of the damage to the uh, atmosphere. Because of that fog. That fog. Well, thank you, Paulie. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure how to say that, but that cow flatulence is, is, is super dangerous. And uh, I think this is insane. Um, and if you just, if you're scientific minded at all, you're going to be going, there's nothing wrong with CO2, right? It's a huge part of the atmosphere. It's extremely good for plants. There's nothing wrong with nitrogen. It's not. None of these things are poisonous um, uh, components of our world. None of it is. Right. Um, and, and for them to demonize those things is ridiculous. So let's get back to God's plan, which is the animals are the source of the nutrients for the soil. And I don't know if you have the picture yet. Uh, you might, of the two core samples, the soil samples, we, we should talk about that if we have a chance to show the difference in long-term um, um, regenerative answer to top-dressed soils, and that is going to disrupt everything that we're used to because that's what the industrialized system uses, and there's nothing wrong with nitrogen. It's 80% of our atmosphere, and plants love it, and they will grow. But that doesn't regenerate that layers, those layers of topsoil, and we've got to do that. So I don't know if you okay, have... Actually, maybe if you could just explain what regenerative farming is. I think that was... Would be
so there's a like I like I said, there's a mindset that has to take place, and, and people have to say, okay, first of all, it's inherently abundant. God is inherently abundant, and let's look right outside our city and see if there's a regenerative farm, uh, you know, that we can get food from, or somebody who at least has better practices and be willing to do the trip, maybe get involved, and you know. So anyway, let's look more at the regenerative farming that the results of that study, one of them is there's a table that shows the difference between the number of pests in a, a regenerative cornfield um, versus the number of pests that attack the corn in a conventional cornfield. And when I, when I was looking at this, I was like, it's like they say it's tenfold. So if you're using insecticides on a cornfield and uh, agricultural chemicals and all that, you, the number of pests that attack the corn are tenfold higher than in a regenerative uh, corn field where, um, where they don't use any insecticides, but they use integrated uh, pests, more pests and better practices to ensure that the balance that you're working with uh, won't favor pests. So to me, this is this little um, study, this little chart. I don't see it up there on the screen. You know, this actually is an example too. I mean, you could easily replace this with unback and back uh, uh, in terms of how many doctors is it? Oh, yeah. Um, so it's like God's design versus man's design. Uh, how are we doing? It? How does man do when he ventures off on his own and solves, tries to solve problems? It tends to turn into this kind of a situation. So uh, the, you apply the insecticide and yet you create a favorable uh, environment for corn pests. And whereas if you work with God's design, you basically have a super healthy field and a really healthy product. The other thing that's interesting about that study is they said the regenerative field had a 29% lower grain production, but a 78% higher profit. And so to me, that sounds like I'm working less and I'm making more money. So uh, that's not necessarily true. There's a lot of factors that go into that. But um, regenerative farming uh, essentially outperforms in key areas, if, if you consider food to be medicine or food to be health, which everyone reflects that ideal, then uh, focusing on uh, volume of production and maximizing it by using chemicals that maybe crank out corn but it has low nutrients, that's not the, and that, that's part of where the food system failed a, a long time ago. And that's what we see. We see obesity is huge because people are trying to desperately eat calories that don't have any nutrients. And they're also really mineral uh, and vitamin and mineral deficient. I don't think people realize how deficient they are in minerals. I I have a great diet. I have an amazing diet here, and I found out I was bone level magnesium deficient. Well, since I've been correcting that, it's changed everything. So this is really important for people to know what you, even if you grow it in your backyard, well, maybe you do, 
you're going to get uh, over time really good minerals. But it, stuff at the store, even organic, is not uh, as nutrient dense as it once was. We need to get back to that. That is going to obsolete the medical system and obsolete the current uh, food supply. We need to get back to supporting, investing, and and cooperating and volunteering on these farms. Make them go. We can probably populate these farms. That's our goal across the country as fast as possible, so that people have those farms to go to for many many reasons. But go to those farms. Support those farms. And we have a model that we intend to replicate all over the country as fast as possible and get the interns on there and get the young farmers on there. And, you know, for the folks who are supporting it, um, they're going to be able to not only sequester carbon, but they're going to be able to sequester their um, very quickly depleting uh, value in their funds they have in the bank. Um, invest in land, invest in these people, invest in these farms that know what they're doing, have done the hard things, and are ready to replicate it. I think, yeah, go ahead. I, I just wanted to ask really quick, because I had a conversation with somebody uh, just before the weekend. Many people don't understand the term, a lot of them, I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them don't understand the term farm share or what that entails. Mm -hmm go through it. What does that entail for who doesn't live on the farm? And how do people go about finding these places in their area? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, a lot of we're, I view ourselves like on one uh, end of the scale because we're like, we've, we've been at it for 10 years and we've created a farm share community which means we've done our marketing um, in, in the private domain, which means that people who come and get food from our farm sign a contract with us and they join us. And so then when they want to harvest, when, when our, their hog is ready, for example, then they uh, can come to the farm and they can help us harvest their hog or help us cut and wrap their meat. And so part of it, to me, the mind shift is engagement. Uh, people have to say, well, my body is food and my mind is food, you know, it's supported by food, so I'm going to put a lot of uh, my uh, engagement into this farmer and these people who are actually there to serve me, and I'm going to sign up and I'm going to help them serve as many people as they can and, and get us this food. And So then they, we have these events and we have people that show them how our farm share owners. And so our model is uh, we've, we've done a lot of financial modeling rather than it's complex. And I think this little scientific paper that we did and the articles that were written around it that we shared, it, it talks about, look, this isn't, you don't just go in and apply one little regenerative thing to conventional farming and think that it's going to um, help. It's, it's a whole system process. And that's kind of what has taken us 10 years to refine it and be able to communicate it well. I think that um, when people who are watching this program think, well, how can, how should my behavior change? It is like, oh, well, maybe I should Google Reviewers of Farms near New York City or, you know, uh, Amish farmers near New York.
agricultural chemicals here. They're using pharmaceuticals of their animals at all a bunch of farmers. If you use, you vaccinate your cows, because uh, I've heard they don't need to be or you do with that, do away with that or something. I don't know. Just putting the pressure on, and, and, but also the support and saying, oh, if you're doing food really well, but that's food that's raised around here. I'm going to buy it, or I'm going to, if you're an investor or you, you know, you, I'm going to put my energy into this. And so now, to me, it's really about reshaping um, the whole, whole landscape in terms of getting away from decentralization. Yeah, that's right. That's really the key is to get away from decentralization. And from the consumer point of view, they're like, but I just go down to Safeway and I get what I need for dinner. And instead, we've got to shift that and teach them that, you know, what they need to do is just super simple. They go to the website, they sign up, and then, like when there, we serve about 300 families between Roseburg and Portland, for example. Every week, we uh, get their order, and then we drive and we deliver um, their food to these different drop sites. It's that simple. And that becomes this awesome community of awesome people. So these 300 families end up you know, meeting some percentage of the people around them who are also our farm owners, and 100% of the time they're like, these folks are so um, on it and so educated. They can just talk about anything. They have shared experience already. Um, so it, it, it is about education, but it's not that hard. You can go sign up and uh, for all the things you want, you know, click. I want a beef share, I want a pork share, I want a chicken share, milk share, cream share, cheese. Whatever it is you click on is what's going to be delivered. So it's not that hard to make the shift, but it is a shift. And people mm-hmm. do need to know that it's just easy and amazing to do. So, yeah, they've got to go to the drop site and pick it up. Yeah, I, need to, I, need to, I need to put two seconds up. When I first met you guys, I went to a farm. I was amazed at how many eggs you had stuck. They were amazed that you had this butcher room and, and then, then you taught me about raw milk. I'd never really had raw milk before. And I had been travelling on the bus a long time and it was the first night I went to see baby. I mean, it was unbelievable. And, and now I understand the difference between even organic milk at, the, you know, wherever it is you shop. It's nothing. Like, I'm staying somewhere right now where there's raw milk and it's, it's, it's unbelievable difference. The reason I'm talking about this because I want people to understand why this is an incredibly important conversation. Because when I met you, Kira, you were telling me as a butcher that meat that you might think is good, you might be really rich and go to whole food five bucks, but it's safe. Still, Kira was seeing ghastly things like tumors in these things. Kira, talk to us about it because people don't understand. And also, how do we know? Oh, yeah. Remember, the, you were showing me like that. You know, it was so gross. Yeah, okay, so I was trained by a German butcher who actually came out of retirement to train me because he was super intrigued um, that, number one, female butcher, and uh, and that I wanted to learn the old way. So as part of what he, he asked me a question, he said, have you ever seen pork liver for sale in the store? And I said, no, I haven't. He said, because... Um, you know, 90, 90% or more of those livers are thrown in the USDA trash bucket because
even the little things, you know, we were talking about meat, but the little things like bread, that yeah. is still not going to do good things for your body. I know people would talk about carbohydrates. I would have definitely one of them. But it's not the worst if the meat is at its best, right? I mean, if you can still, if you have good meat, bread is not a bad thing. Pregnancy are no shots for pregnant women and 
thing that, other than we're we're super wealthy with the abundance around us, we're we, we're struggling. We farmers struggle financially. They're working their butts off for you, and and it's like, how can we make this type of farming go and downplay this other type of farming? Uh, and I would say, find them. There's a number of ways to find them. There's um there's a group called Local Service. Go, you can go there, see what's near you. Um, there's a farm match, uh, which is getting a lot of traction to help match you up, excuse me, with a farm. Um, and that's mostly out east, I think. Um, they're, they're really wanting to spread to the west. Support, find them, find the farmers and support them. And, and if you have extra money that is losing value in the bank and you want to know what to do with it, buy land for a farmer. Buy the, support the farmer. Invest in these farmers because look how fast we could be producing clean food. <clears throat> so we're feeding 300 families. So maybe that's a thousand people, maybe it's 600 people um, just from our little farm. Now let's let's say we are able to unfold our plan, which is to buy chunks of land like this that are well, you know, they're clean, the water is clean. Um, we know what we're doing, and we're teaching people um, how to. Uh, we're taking an interest, We're teaching people, and then we go out and we populate those farms as fast as possible. Dealers now certified as a PMA consultant. To help us folks do a um, private member, PMA is private membership association. So that we can get, which is what we uh, essentially people sign up to be part of our association, and it creates a jurisdiction that's outside of the state and federal jurisdictions. And so there, you can do butchery and you can do law. You uh, can get your own direct uh, because you're um, signing a contract relationship with your farmer. So that we can go more into that if anybody has questions on that, but the clean food source, do you trust these giant corporations that you don't know? You don't know who's farming, you don't know who's butchering or the conditions of cows were in or what they ate, even if it says grass fed, there are some conditions those cows are going through in the large industrialized conveyor belt system. Um, that is not the same as saying, I signed up for my cows, I just got a call, my beef is ready to harvest. They can come for that whole experience, or they can just come for the cutting, but they, you can't get closer to your food than that. You know me, you know how it was raised, and we're discussing uh, recipes and how you cook as I'm cutting it. And, and, we're pulling, and, and if they come to the harvest, we pull the liver out and examine it together. You know, yeah. So it's kind of, a, you really get close. It, it's it's not, I'm going to remind you for a question. I, I pretty am sure that Sage Vegan is still not with us. Um, I can't see the chat, but I'm sure she's not happy with us right now. No. So oh, she's just, um, or he, I don't know who it is, as um, very passionate, a, a vegan. So, um, oh, yeah. Each to their own, everybody, okay? We, we do, we had a vegan on for you once, and I'll get another one on. So, well, um, if I could address a couple things. So, regenerative farming, it depends upon people eating meat. It 
really does. And so if you don't eat meat, then you don't put livestock on the land. And cows on the land are the best. If, if carbon is a concern in the atmosphere, cows on pasture, not concentrated in a barn, on pasture, they're the best carbon sequestration ever. And, and that part of the science that we, we looked at shows that just by increasing the percentage of the topsoil from 1% to 3% carbon, which is what a cow can do in a few years, um, you, you sequester more carbon than has the whole industrial age has, has put into the atmosphere. Um, and then there's another thing that I want to um, talk about, and that is raw milk, which you brought up a couple times. There's what we found on our farm, and in general, is there's and that we're we're not taught about milk very well. Um, women aren't even taught about the fact that they're mammals and that they produce milk. They have a baby, and everybody knows they're going to breastfeed and produce milk. But the magic of the milk is not very well taught, and it's not very well studied because it's super powerful and it's a blessing from God. So there's an intelligence in milk that raw milk coming out of another is antimicrobial, they say, but in fact what it does is it positively nourishes beneficial bacteria. This is Not So Mad Science with your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, here on the Black Hole Radio Network. Because of a couple of technical issues, we're going to close out this particular moment of Not So Mad Science and open back up in a new moment of Not So Mad Science. So don't go away. Stay right here. If you lose your connection, come right back. We are here to go. So we're going to start the new episode with more time, and we'll keep right on going. We're not abandoning you. We're just re-upping back into the shoot. This is Not So Mad Science with your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, here on the Black Hole Radio Network.